0: To 2, verses 1 to 10. Just let me adjust this mic. So this is 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just draw close to us now and help us know more of you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Bear with me. I'm not used to holding two things at once and attempting to look cool. Never mind, be cool. Right. Okay. So I've picked one verse from our reading to speak on today. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So I picked that verse about babies and milk for two reasons, partly because one of my grandchildren is a baby, she's six months old and I'm obsessed, and partly because of little Thomas, who's coming along today to be baptised, and I'm sure his family absolutely adore him as much as I adore my little, all my littles, but the baby at the moment in particular. So, babies, aren't they wonderful? It's an absolute miracle to think that the whole of the potential of an entire human life can be contained in such a tiny weenie package. These are my monkeys, Peter and Rachel, when they were little. I haven't got a baby photo with them both on, But as you can tell, they both have character and sometimes they were absolute monkeys but also an absolute blessing. And here are a couple of photos of other babies that some of you may happen to know. There we go. And I'm not going to tell you who they are at the moment. And of course, if you want to see a real baby this morning, baby Thomas is looking absolutely gorgeous. And it's a very special day for the family, so welcome. It's lovely to have you here. We look at these baby photos, and we look at the young lady on the left. We can see how much our babies depend on us for everything. This little one has been placed artfully against a shawl for this photograph. So my guess is that at the moment, she can't wash or dress herself, make her meals. She might be able to make some sounds. But as she's been draped carefully and appears to have stayed where she was put, I'm guessing that she probably can't sit up or stand or walk yet. She just needs to be loved and cared for by her family and by the looks of it, she jolly well is. So when our babies are first born, they come out of their comfortable, safe place in the womb where there's enough room, but not too much, where they're connected to mum by the umbilical cord and they get fed without knowing. And where every moment they can hear the continual comforting sound of mum's heartbeat. But then the moment they're born, everything goes to pot. The sounds are too loud. Everywhere is too bright. And nothing that's happening to them is familiar or makes any sense. People start dressing them. They put nappies on them. Feeding, what's that? Nothing is the same. And as comfortable and as usual as being in the womb has been. But then when mum picks them up and holds them close, they hear that familiar heartbeat. And they're comforted. And we know now, of course, that babies can hear a lot from inside the room. Apparently, if you play them Mozart when you're expecting, they end up really intelligent. I wish I'd known that. (laughs) But also... Family members around them, the siblings, mum and dad, aunties and uncles, nanas and granddads, all the familiar voices they heard in the womb are there now. In care that makes them feel secure. And our reading today talks about baby Christians, people who are new to faith. And when we are baby Christians, or other baby Christians come to church. We need time to adjust to our surroundings in church or in groups as we make sense of our own experiences and we make friends and we ask lots of questions. And the questions are important. Somebody said to me the other week, somebody mentioned the word liturgy, goes, what's that? And then somebody else says something else, well, what's that about? What's this about? We don't know anything when we're new. We need to learn stuff and we need to be nurtured and loved along the way. Can have the next picture, please? There we go, a baby bottle. Now, if you've been around a baby, you've probably seen them feed. And again, let's think about that miracle of feeding. How does a tiny baby instinctively know that milk is good for them? How do they know it will take away their hunger? And yet somehow, they do. When I was a young mum, I was told to stop and wind the baby halfway through feeding. Our youngest grandbaby is bottle fed and sometimes she will let me do that. Stop halfway through the bottle, sit her up, rub her back, maybe sing a song and eventually one of us burps, occasionally her. But sometimes she just won't let me do that. She can hold the bottle now with both hands. And as I try and remove it casually and gently from her mouth, both hands go on, bottle goes in, shove, that's it. The bottle is held in a vice-like grip and nothing and no one is taking that bottle off her. Baby one, and nil. So thinking about how we can link what the Bible says about baby Christians with the babies that we know, And about baptism, because Thomas is here to be baptized, I asked a friend who's wiser than me how she would link those ideas together. And she said, babies crave milk as if their life depends on it. And baptism is the seed of an initiation into a life that hopefully will become dependent on Jesus, the giver of abundant life full of rich milk that satisfies our hunger like I could not have said that, and thankfully, I didn't have to. So if we take it back to the beginnings, let's start off by thinking, well, what exactly is a Christian? And being a Christian has a backstory, so I'll start with that, so please bear with. Have you ever heard the phrase, I gave you one job? Right? When God made the world in the Garden of Eden, which was beautiful, he put Adam and Eve, human beings, his creation, who he loved, and who shared his DNA, into the garden to look after it. And he gave them one job. Don't touch that particular tree in the middle of the garden, the one we're calling the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, God, Adam, and Eve were very close, but God's got an enemy. And in the Bible, we call him the devil or Satan. He's still around. He's jealous of God, and he hates him. And so he comes to try and steal, kill, or destroy anything that God loves. And God had a great relationship with Adam and Eve, so guess where he starts. So one day, he comes into the garden, and he says to Eve, If Adam and Eve went against God's wish and ate fruit from that one tree they're not allowed to touch, they would know as much as God and they would be exactly like him. Satan said that God had deliberately kept that information from them. Unfortunately, that was a lie. So foolishly, Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the forbidden tree And the flow of information, images, and ideas that flooded their minds was more than they could cope with. Now, if you think of youngsters and the internet, there are things that we need to protect them from. But once a young person of whatever age has seen something they shouldn't see, or heard something that they really shouldn't have heard at this age, they can't unsee it, they can't unhear it, and they can't unknow it even if they don't understand it. And that's the kind of thing that went through Adam and Eve's minds. There were good things in that because the tree was good and evil, but there were also evil things. They didn't become like God, as Satan had said they would, but now they'd opened their hearts and minds to evil, which is the very thing God had been trying to protect them from. They'd also committed their first sin by disobeying God on purpose. God is the source of life, and without him, there isn't any life. So instead of having eternal life in fellowship with God, now that Adam and Eve had sinned, death entered the world. To cut a long story short, God had to cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, because over time, their sin would have corrupted the whole place if he'd let them stay. And if you want to know what corruption's like, Adam and Eve eat an apple, Minds blown, cast out of the garden. They have two kids. First one kills the second one. How quickly have we gone from there's a concept of evil to I'm going to kill my brother. One generation. And evil has been a choice for human beings ever since. Just as good has. Now God is the opposite of evil. He's good. He's the opposite of sin and death. He brings life and holiness and purity. And you can't have polar opposites next to each other. It doesn't work. God and sin can't be together. And that gave God a huge problem. He had to cast Adam and Eve out because otherwise they would have wrecked everything with the sin and wrongdoing. But he loved them with all his heart and he wanted them back. How was God going to square that circle between bad and good, sin and purity, and get everyone back together. Well, to start off with, he chose a nation, the Jews, and you can read about them in the Old Testament. He says, okay, we'll make an arrangement. We'll make a commitment to each other. If you are prepared to live according to my ways, then I will protect you and be with you and help you And when you're in trouble, I will get you out of it. And we can be together again. And they go, yes. And then they can't keep it up. And that happened right the way through the New Testament. It's the biggest part of the Bible. If you fancy flicking through, you'll find out it happens a lot. The Jews weren't any different to us or anyone else. We would all have the same trouble. Because although we share God's DNA from creation, we also have inherited the knowledge and understanding. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When I worked in the post office, I got a pay packet, I was happy. If I sin, the only thing I'm getting is separation from God, which is eternal death. Not my first choice, but again, I'm not perfect and I can't keep it up either. So finally, God picked the one thing he had, that was most precious to him, his son, Jesus Christ. And he sent Jesus to our world to be born as a baby, to grow up, to live among us, but to live according to God's rules. And the idea was that Jesus would show everybody what God was like and what being with God was like. And so they would have a choice they didn't have before. And people saw Jesus, they saw him do miracles, they saw the way he talked about God's love, And they wanted it. They wanted him. But there were a few jealous people, the religious guys who were in charge. And they liked everyone bowing and scraping to them. And if people were going to follow Jesus, they would lose their importance. So they managed to persuade people. In the end, the authorities and huge crowds that Jesus was a bad guy and should be put to death. And he was crucified on a cross, which was the form of Roman punishment at that time. But spiritually, there was something else going on, because Jesus never sinned. Now, if I sin, the Bible says, I'm going to die. But Jesus hadn't sinned, and yet there he is on a cross put there to die. The Bible says that God put on Jesus, while Jesus was on the cross, all the sins of every human being, past, present, and future. And Jesus bore the weight of those sins. And even though he didn't deserve it, he bore the punishment for all the sins of humankind. I don't know what you think sin is. I don't know how big or small you think it is. But God thinks it's important. And there are different kinds of sins. I mess up, that's a sin. I mess up on purpose, you might think that was worse. But God says it's still a sin, they're all called sin. But Jesus took my messes. The things I did on purpose, the things I did by accident, and the things that separate me from God, and he bore those on his body for me so that I can be forgiven and those sins can be removed from my life. He does that for all of us. So Jesus took our sins. He died on the cross. But then he had something else was a bit of a spiritual quandary. Death could not hold Jesus because he personally had never sinned. So he couldn't stay dead. God raised him from the dead after three days. And in the Bible, three days means God's up to something. Jesus comes back to life. He meets up with his disciples. He teaches them. He spends time with them. And he goes up to heaven to be with God. And he promised the disciples that although he was going, God would send the Holy Spirit on them. So they would know they belonged to God. And the Holy Spirit would remind them of all the stuff they knew about God already, but had temporarily forgotten. The Bible says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, but may have eternal life. And he also says, to show you are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And since you are his child, God will give you all that he has. For his children. So that's the backstory of what a Christian is. The way to become a Christian is to choose to put your sins behind you and to live the rest of your life following God's way. When a person asks Jesus to come into their life and forgive them for their sins, he does that. We become part of God's family, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, and he gives us eternal life. We still die here. Because our planet, our world, is still subject to sin, and sin brings death. So we do still die here, but when we have died here, we go straight to live with Jesus in heaven, where there's more joy than our hearts can hold, and where there's no more sickness, disease, or death. I've got a friend whose husband died while her daughter was quite small, and they both believe in Jesus, and she said, when I get to heaven, I am taking the biggest frying pan you have ever seen. And I'm going to chase him round and belt him with it for leaving me so early. Well, they're both there now. And I don't know if God has frying pans and reason why he shouldn't. And it's a nice image to think of Sue chasing her husband with a big pan. However, I know that they're fully happy with God. Neither of them is sick. Neither of them is ill. Restored to complete and full life in Jesus. And reunited with the family members who are already there. So it's a win-win. So if you've never thought about asking Jesus into your life, have a think. It might be something that works in your favor. And so we've done faith, we've done Christians, and now baptism. So what is baptism? It's an outward action to show an end choice. When we become Christians and we get to know the Lord, we realize how amazing he is. And we want everyone to know him like we do. And so we get baptised to show people that we've chosen to follow him. And there are two different ways of doing it. If you get baptised by going fully under the water in a baptism pool, and then you're lifted straight back up, it's a symbol of dying to sin, because people normally drown if you hold them under the water, and being raised to new life in Jesus. But if we do like we're doing with Thomas today, When you sign the sign of the cross on somebody's forehead, it's a way of saying that they belong to Jesus now. When Thomas gets baptized during this service, and Danielle and the family make the sign of the cross gently on his forehead, it's her way of saying, everybody's way of saying, that as Danielle belongs to God now, and she knows how lovely it is to be his, she wants Thomas to come to know him too someday. And she can't think of anything better for him. And if you think of the gentleness with which you would very gently put, make the sign of the cross on a child's head, it's not just the bit about saying, I want you to know God. It's about saying, I'm touching you gently because I love you the way that God loves you. Our babies are wonderful but they don't stay babies forever. They grow up, they transform bit by bit into the person that they will one day become. And here are our baby pictures with a reveal of who they turned out to be. So our cute little baby on the shawl is Julia. And Julia grew up to be a pharmacist and is one of our church wardens, running away. And uh, this beautiful baby is Sue, who grew up to be a nurse and then a vicar, and he's going to be baptizing Thomas later. So what does the Bible say about transformation and as Christians? The Bible says that as Christians, we're supposed to grow and transform, just like babies do, but transforming our faith. As we get closer to Jesus, we want to be more like him. We see our faults and failings, our lack of kindness or our bad behavior, And we don't want to be that person anymore. We just want to be like him. You might have had the privilege of occasionally meeting with a Christian who just somehow, without saying anything, just seems to ooze that loveliness of Jesus. And I've met a couple in my time. And you just want to sit there next to them as if somehow the way that they just ooze the loveliness of Jesus will make you feel closer to him and know him more. As we spend more time with Jesus and pray and learn from the Bible, that kind of transformation begins to happen. Ephesians 4.15 says we will in all things grow up. 1 John 3.2 says we do not know what we shall be, but we will be changed to be like him. And Romans 12.2 tells us how God asks us to engage with beginning that process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our Bible reading began by telling Christians how to turn their backs on their old way of living and instead turn to Jesus and hold on to him with all they've got, just like a hungry baby with a bottle. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So from now on, let's encourage each other in our walk with Jesus, that we may get to know and love him better and be transformed. And Thomas, may the Lord bless you and your family with every good thing, now and always. we